You've got to believe me, Victoria. Characters in my plays do come alive. I've seen them, I've talked to them. I've even shaken hands with them. You even made love to them, remember? Yes. I mean, no! We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I am Kevin. And Paul, we, we have made it. We've made it. We have made it. It's been a long, arduous journey, but we are here. The final episode of season one. Like, like I feel like this is like the 100th episode of the series. Like, it just goes on and on. So much so. Did you hear the dog barking in the background in protest? Because she's like, I can't believe it's been 36 episodes. Yeah. Well, thirty-seven if you count. Uh, oh, that's right. That's the time element. Oh, I forgot. How can I forget the time element? How can I forget Mr. William Bendix going back in time and then betting and drinking? That'd be hard to forget that. So I hope everybody enjoyed. Is the, is the sound is the sound available? Oh, I do have the the sound of Mr. William Bendix uh, sleeping. Oh. Yeah, that 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 wonderful noise that he made when he went back to nineteen forty-two. <laughs> Um, so Perfect. I hope everybody survived the mighty Casey. I, I think Kevin is the shell of himself after that episode. I know, uh, I've never seen Kevin to have his fangs out as much for a, 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 an individual bit of media as like he did for the mighty Casey. <laughs> like I, and I've known you for I, a few years. I I'm, sat down yeah. last night. <laughs> I sat down last night to watch some baseball and uh, I started having flashbacks. Like, not again. <laughs> Did you hear a slide not whistle? Again. <laughs> and you start just punching the air in front of you angrily? Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, just the, just the sound of a rain delay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What, um, th- that was weird. Couldn't they call that game at that point? Like, so, like, the, the Indians could have won it, but they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to play another couple innings. And then the Indians lost it. So, that's, uh, I, I guess it's just like, why can't, if I was the home team, I'd be like, nope, we're good. This is rolled up and call it a day. I know you don't care. Yeah. It's baseball talk. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, well, I no. I like. I, I've I've been into the baseballs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been enjoying it recently. Of all the our team's ball. doing well, yeah. so it's more fun. That's right. So um, there you go. There's some additional baseball talk regarding the mighty Casey. Uh, this episode is not the mighty Casey. Uh, this episode is the last episode of season one. If we've oh, mentioned, thank yeah. As much as we've enjoyed this journey, it never felt like it was going to end, and we still have four more seasons to go. Right. So I like this, but it's, it's still, right. it's no, still it, a it marathon. Yeah. It's just, uh, we've, we had a few bad, bad episodes within there. So it's, I, I'm excited to jump in season two. It looks like there's some real, real winners going into the next season, but yeah, it, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about uh, a world of his own. Yeah. Uh, season one, episode 36, uh, air date, July 1st, 1960. Uh, number one song is everybody. Somebody's full by Connie Francis. Uh, number one film is Strangers When We Meet, nice. because how else would you be when you meet somebody other than a stranger? Um, it's a romance about married <laughs> neighbors who have an affair with each other. Only thing I'll say about this is that Variety decri- de- described the film as easy on the eyes, but hard on the intellect. So I, I, I appreciate that description of that movie. Um, it just felt like it was a throwback to yeah. like films well, past. Kind of- yeah, kind of ties into this episode a little, a bit, little too. bit. Yeah, yeah. And then I, as, as far as far as with the the cheating and stuff, that's true. Not and, with the hard hard on the intellect. But <laughs> but you know, uh, but uh, Gregory West was easy on the eyes. So, but I just want to mention I couldn't find anything for that the air date of July first. Uh, but July fourth, um, you know, Fourth of July that what we celebrate. It was the the first fifty star U.S. flag was flown. And that's one of those things that kind of blows my mind because we've been we've been raised with fifty stars on the flag, 
and to, to realize that like Alaska and Hawaii were really late to the game and that they had to change the flag to accommodate like that still is kind of odd to me that there was still like a 48 and a 49 fly, uh, star flag out there. Yeah, in 1960, you know, yeah. you, it's, it doesn't seem that far away that they would have been changing the flag. Um, yeah, because yeah, there's that so, song. Uh, uh, you want to jump in? The, yeah, I was just going to mention. Sorry, a, I, I think our <laughs> Skype connection is a little bit slow, so I apologize if no. we're cutting each other off a little bit. No, it's, it's okay. There was that song, Nifty 50 United States. I don't think it existed before the, the 50th state existed, so I don't know when that song was written. So I, I, like, I feel like 48 and 49 didn't rhyme very well, so I feel like someone was really hoping for 50 states. So they got it, but it still blows my <laughs> mind that like we were still halfway into the 20th century and we still didn't have like what we think of as the, the you know the United States. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, this is going to be a little weird episode, but I also think that's okay because this episode by itself is kind of odd, but in a really fun way. Like I really like this episode. So yeah, let's get into the cast and crew. All right. So uh, this episode was written by Richard Matheson. This is his fourth appearance on our show here, and uh, it, it was not based on a short story, just a just a teleplay written specifically for Twilight Zone. Uh, episode was directed by Ralph Nelson, which this was his only Twilight Zone episode. Um, he actually, interesting way he got involved with doing this, he won an Emmy for directing an episode of Playhouse 90, uh, where he directed... I think the first time he directed for that show, he directed Serling's episode called Requiem for a Heavyweight, which we discussed. I believe we discussed it on Big Tall Wish because it was a boxing story and it was kind of the preemptive take on Big Tall Wish. Um, so and that was actually starring the main actor in this episode as well. So fun little connections with that. And uh, director also. Uh, directed a film I, I kind of like with Jim Brown called Tick, Tick, Tick. And uh, Lilies of the Field with Sidney Portier as well. And he also directed um, the film version, the, the 1968 version of Flowers for Algernon, which that's a, that, oh. that's a hell of a story. And I, I, I don't think I've seen – the movie's called Charlie, and I've not seen that, but I've read the book. And it makes me actually excited to, to, to try to find that movie because it's a really interesting story. Yeah, I've never seen that version of it. I, I probably didn't notice it on his filmography because it was called Charlie. Uh, interesting. But, but the record for Heavyweight, uh, so, though. Yeah, we'll jump. Yeah. I was, I'm sorry, I was going to mention, uh, also starred uh, Ed Wynn. Uh, he was in that TV episode of uh, uh, the Requiem for Heavyweight, which is the the father of Keenan Wynn, who is the the main actor in yes. the story. Sorry, unless I stepped on yeah. stepped on your surprise reveal. I'm sorry. So let's go on to the cast. <laughs> it's okay. It's a good segue. So uh, the cast, very small cast in this episode. We have Keenan Wynn, as you said, son of Edwin, who was in uh, One for the Angels as the pitchman. Uh, he's Keenan Wynn, though, stars as Gregory West in this episode. Um, he was in a ton of stuff. He had a pretty big career, and he was responsible for getting his father his career too. He was the one that pushed him for going into auditions and really how Edwin became the character actor. He was, was because of his son and they did star in a few movies together, but, uh, Keenan, when he was in, a quite a few of my favorite films, actually, he was in Dr. Strangelove. He's in once upon a time in the West, uh, point blank with Lee Marvin, the mechanic, uh, a lot of good stuff, but this was his only twilight zone episode. Yeah, and I was it's looking kind of further. Yeah, that is surprising because he's he's actually really really good in this, and uh, I think it's interesting that we had Edwin at one of the first episodes, and then Keenan went in the very last episode of the season. But you're right; like he he uh, convinced uh, everybody to to have uh, Edwin play the serious role of um, not the manager. What do you like the ringside guy and Requiem for a Heavyweight? Like the the um you know what what, what do you, what's that what's that role called anyway? Like the coach, the boxing coach. The coach? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what got Edwin back. You're right back onto the career of being like a recognizable character actor. And that's, that's one of those stories that you hear. It's like, you know, that he like brought his father back to redemption. And that's kind of, that's kind of awesome. And then further on here, I'll just mention, and this will make you happy to hear. Um, he was originally cast as Perry white and Richard Donner Superman, 
but he clashed from exhaustion. That's not what will make you happy because that's really actually kind of sad. Because he, he almost pulled yeah, a, uh, like, he almost pulled, hell, <laughs> he almost pulled a mighty Casey right there. No, he was in Angels oh, no. in the Outfield with uh, Paul Winfield, not Winfield. What was the the guy's name? The the guy who died from in the Mighty Casey. He was also in the Devil's Reign. Uh, he was an Orca. Oh, he was a voice oh, in the Last yeah. Unicorn. Uh, he was also in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, and he was in an episode of Super Train. So look at that. This guy is amazing, and we didn't know how much stuff that this guy actually did. Super Train. Man, I, I found a DVD of that a bootleg. I'm about to pull the trigger on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then also his son, so the grandson of Edwin, uh, Tracy Keatum Wynn, wrote the screenplay for the original The Longest Yard. So three generations like doing awesome things in Hollywood. Yeah, that's, that's a really fun. That's a great story. Um, all right. And then the only two other people we have Phyllis Kirk plays Victoria West, a wife of Gregory West. This was her only twilight zone episode. And the only other thing I want to mention was that she was in the original house of wax with Vincent price. Yeah. And she was actually uh, Nora Charles in the Nick and Nora Charles in the Thin Man series, um, which was a really popular series. And just the reason I want to mention that is because a lot of people point to her to be one of the original big, like strong female characters in cinema and TV. Um, like as in like she didn't have to rely upon a man to get the job done. And, and like her and Nick worked together, not as like she wasn't just like um, just there to assist him. Like they work side by side. So I thought that's kind of important. Yeah. And she's got a great look for that. I mean, she's very commanding on screen and uh, not in like a bitchy kind of way because <laughs> um, her character does kind of come off like that. But no, just uh, just her appearance is very commanding. Like she just looks like that old Hollywood type. Yeah. And uh, it's something that's kind of lost these days. Uh, and then lastly, we have Mary LaRoque, who plays Mary. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, she was in one other Twilight Zone episode and probably most famously the film adaptation of Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, like she did a lot of TV stuff, but nothing that really rang any bells with me. Like, like no Super Train, no Johnny Midnight. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Like, it's a it's a three person. There's one other. Well, actually, there's two other characters that show up in the episode, but we'll talk about them when we get there. So that's it. Yeah, that's your cast and crew. I was like two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Aha. So yeah, let's just go ahead. We'll do the, the Surly intro. This one's a little weird because again, he's describing things that are on the screen. Uh, so just bear with us and, and we'll be back. Talk about the episode and proper. The home of Mr. Gregory West, one of America's most noted playwrights, the office of Mr. Gregory West, Mr. Gregory West. Shy, quiet, and at the moment, very happy. Merry, warm, affectionate. And the final ingredient, Mrs. Gregory West. That intro doesn't really sell how funny actually things were that you saw on the screen. Um, but it was, it was a, a fun, lighthearted intro, and I like the music behind it. Yeah, well... I actually really like that uh, opening narration because on further thought and when you go back and rewatch it, having just descriptions of characters fits so perfectly into the storyline of this uh, episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a great idea doing that and it didn't step on Matheson's toes at all. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk more about um, once we talk about the episode and proper uh, kind of the journey it's it's not as big as like we had uh with the after hours but there was definitely um some differences of opinion uh like how this episode should be played but i think serling he he, he wanted something lighthearted and his descriptions here really kind of it, it tips its hand without so much and i i love it cuz it's just it's really it's telling you what's going on without telling you what's going on yeah well i i, I again not to jump ahead into that kind of stuff but Having this as the last episode, some things in Matheson's teleplay got a little changed up just to fit it at the end of the season, the yeah. way it is. And we'll get to it when we get to it, for sure. 
So I like at the very beginning there, whenever uh, Sterling's intro is going on, and the, the camera just kind of moves down on uh, Gregory West's face, and he's just kind of grinning like an idiot. It's like this is Gregory West. He's just smiling, looking up off camera. It's it's kind of a like, it's not awkward, but it's just like he's as happy as can be. And then then a reverse shot to Mary and just mixing a drink, staring at him, smiling as well. It was just a nice little intro to the both of them showing like how content they are as he watches her making a drink. Yeah. And then when you get introduced to uh, his wife, Victoria, outside of the window, that's that's really some uh, surprisingly good comedy in a season that has had terrible comedy so far. Like I expect to see like Don Knotts behind her looking over her shoulder in the window as well, just to see what those neighbors are doing. (laughs) But yeah, Um, like the the whole Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So yeah, they're in there kind of uh, mixing drinks and he's got Mary in his arms and everything. And Victoria is watching them through the window. So she, she starts coming in the front door and she obviously saw Mary in there and uh, she's knocking on the door asking him if he's in there writing. And <laughs> so is it him that it's been a few days since I watched it, but is it uh, Gregory who drops his glass? He does. But I want to back yeah. up a second first because there's interaction between Mary and him where she's mixing the drink. And basically um, she asks, like, is the drink correct? And he was like. Uh, let the mistress decide. And, and she's like, let the mister decide. And it was very awkward. And then uh, yeah. he, she hands him the drink. And he, he sips it. He's like perfect every time. And then they have like this brief discussion about like, I, it just, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was very, very pet like talk, very owner, owner, you know, ship talk, which all makes sense. Like when you get into the episode, but it was like, it was, um, it was really awkward and off-putting the first time you hear master and mistress. But then Victoria is knocking on the door. Uh, Gregory freaks out, drops the glass because, you know, that's what you would do if you got caught, like, talking to another woman and then some and your wife's knocking on the door. And all she wants to do is give him a kiss. And I like that bit of dialogue. She's like, no, no, no. Yeah. I just want to give you a kiss. That's all what's going on. Come on, just let me in. Yeah, so uh, he goes and grabs a pair of scissors, which is... I think a really intriguing part of this episode because you don't know exactly what the intentions are. And, uh, you know, my brain always goes to the darker conclusion, <laughs> especially with uh, Twilight Zone and uh, what I like in the series. But it, you get Mary saying, oh, no, not again. What are you doing? Don't do that. You know, and he's like, no, it's got to be done. So he grabs the scissors and uh, he ends up answering the door and Victoria comes in and we got a great scene of her looking around the room and not not exactly saying what she's doing, but you know, she's looking for Mary and she's like knocking on walls and stuff, looking for secret passageways. <laughs> it's very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Very, very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. It's like, there has to be something going on, but I love, there's a bit where he backs into the frame, snipping the scissors in his hand, like back and forth. And he's like looking, like looking off camera before he answers the door. It's very, it's very ominous for an episode that's not really like that dark, like you said, but it's like, what did he do with those scissors? I I loved it. And then she's going around being very cartoony, knocking on like doors, asking like, is there a secret doorway here? Is this a game of clue? She didn't say that, but that's kind of like what she was hinting at and like looking under his desk and looking all around, like, where would you hide a woman? Like, like, it seems like she checked the obvious spots, but she was still looking and it was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, so she starts, uh, she finally just reveals, like, you know, funniest thing, I was walking by the window, and I could have sworn I saw you had a girl in here. Starts describing a girl, and uh, uh, <laughs> kind of describes her as being drab and and low class and everything, and he he accidentally admits to it. <laughs> yeah, so, he's like, her uh, name's Mary. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what her name is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like he was actually bemused by her until she, until he realizes that she was looking through the window. Then he panics because at first he's yeah. just like, I got this all figured out, but yeah, but then she trips him up by having him say her name or, or, or saying something that recognizes her. So it's like any rational person at that point be like, okay, you're cheating on me. I'm done. I'm gone. But then becomes this whole game of like, how long can we keep Victoria in the office? Yeah, which I I like that whole thing with him going over and locking the door. (laughs) But uh, he gives in and uh, he tells her what's going on pretty quickly. And I I like 
I like the way she reacts to it. This the series has been, you know, for having such short episodes and having to jump right into it. And we've gotten some episodes that have some unrealistic reactions. Victoria's reactions this are I, I it changes quickly, but there's just enough apprehension in her performance that I think it's fairly believable. And I, I like her performance in this quite a bit. I do, too. Um, I also will say that I like his explanation about what's going on like it's very it's very matter of fact but also kind of like giving himself a pat on the back as he's telling her what he's found out um but i but i like her because it's like i don't care what you tell me i know you're cheating so just keep talking i'm just i'm going to leave but keep talking tell me everything great i believe you wink and i kind of got that from her the entire time and it's great as a viewer at this point because as he's explaining uh Basically, what's going on is he describes a character as in a character in one of his plays because he's a playwright and he's working on that. Um, He describes a character into his tape recorder and that character will appear. Now, the only way to get rid of them is to take a pair of scissors, snip the piece of tape off of the uh, the audio tape off and throw it in the fire and they disappear and so he's describing this to her and as as a viewer it's so much fun because at this point you know we've seen a lot in the twilight zone so you you kind of expect the supernatural thing but part of you wants to believe like maybe it is just him trying to drive her crazy and you don't know for at least half of the episode whether or not what's actually happening is happening yeah, because he, he could be like gaslighting her and be like, oh, no, no, no. She's a creation of my imagination. And I, I threw her exactly. in the fire. Yeah. And and it's like, that's why she's gone. Um, so I like and that. Victoria yeah. And Victoria has that reaction. Like, I see what you're doing. You're trying to drive me to the loony bin or whatever she says. And so that's what I mean. Her reaction in this is I mean, comedic at times. A little over the top. I A lot over the top. Uh, but it's still more believable than some of the episodes we've seen this far. It's, it's, it's grounded enough, you know, for, for us to get yes. on her side. Yeah, and I guess see, that's a good way to put it. Like, yeah, like she, it's, she's not someone to cheer for, but you can at least sympathize with her. Like this guy, clearly we saw at the beginning of the episode that he is, you know, seeing this other person and wherever she's at. So it, as much as like, we may not be a fan of her, we can understand her thought process and all she wants to do is get that key out of his pocket and get out that door. And I love that there's a couple of times where she that gets him monologuing, you know, like, like a villain. And then she's trying to get that key fish out of his pocket and she's just trying to sneak over the door. <laughs> like it, it's funny there. It's lighthearted there. Um, I feel like if something like this was made today, it'd be a lot darker, <laughs> you know, cause like of all the stories we've had of oh, people, yeah. people being held against their will. Well, because, it's, what's yeah. that one up? What was that one episode that I really got? It? Oh, it was the uh, it was the one with him basically uh, drugging the girl. Uh, which one? The one with the potion. Why can't I think oh, of the, the chaser. episode name? Yeah, it was the chaser. The chaser. Thank you. It was. Yeah, this not to the extent of that. <laughs> I had much <laughs> no, more I agree with problem you on that. with that one. Yeah, but yeah, I I can totally see this getting creepy very quickly if it was made today i agree yeah but then when you get to like actually what's going on it's almost like um and, and we're getting we're getting there quickly but so he's he basically tells her like i have this ability to to basically describe anything into reality i've had other characters previously to to marry that i started describing them in such good detail that they show up and they kind of do their own thing and then that like that, that, so he was giving her giving victoria examples outside of mary of this happening and he realizes the power that he has, but he also kind of laid the groundwork for sometimes my creations are so realized and perfect that they defy my will. And I think that's interesting that like, um, like I'm sure you as a, like a songwriter, there's times where it's like, man, it'd be great if it just went this way, but that doesn't feel right. And no matter what you do, it's never going to yeah. come out like with the end point that you want, but you're going to follow the way it goes. Yeah, this is this is such a great story for a writer to write. <laughs> I mean, that's a weird sentence, but you can totally tell that this was 
written by a great writer just because there's so many ideas like what you're describing in this that uh play so well yeah because i like the idea um, that Andrew, yeah so yeah. he's i'm sorry go ahead please Go ahead. No, okay. I'm just. I've made a mixed no, I drink. I hope it pleases you. So if you have more to add, go ahead. No, I'm just drinking a mixed drink. So I hope it pleases the master. So that's that's my problem right now. Is that? I'm, <laughs> so does it please the master? I don't know. Uh, no, I just. Um, I like. I like the idea though that this. Like, I made it. I made a comment earlier in the season. Um, during one for the angels. Oddly enough, I didn't realize that we'd have a wing connection here. Um, that I felt like Mister Death was a stand-in for Serling. And there was kind of a meta commentary about how there was fate and how you can't get away from it. And there's Mr. F- Mr. Uh, Death showing up whenever it's convenient for the story to move forward. This, this whole episode is meta before meta was a thing to be talked about. And the idea of a creator th- you know, visibly saying, hey, I, I make creations as so good that they have a mind of their own like um, I don't know if people realized how big of a concept that really was, and it was told really well in this episode. But it's like it's it's like the tip of the iceberg of of your creations going off and doing whatever they want. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk about how far this episode goes as we get there towards <laughs> yeah, <right>. the end <laughs> in that uh, meta world. And it kind of reminded me of something, but I'll uh, I'll save that for the end. Okay. <laughs> When we get there. So, yeah, he starts describing Mary again. He's like, I'll prove it to you. So he describes Mary just as he did before and uh, saying that she's walking up the front uh, steps and she's coming in the front door and you hear the door. Um, and it's a great shot where you have uh, Gregory standing in the foreground talking into the tape player, uh, Victoria with her ear against the door in the background and then you're hearing the noises of the front door opening and footsteps coming closer. And then when Mary opens the door, you have both of them. Uh, I, I like how Mary kind of peers around the side of the door towards Victoria. And then they both go back to both sides yes. <laughs> away from each other. Um, I got a screenshot yeah, of that where such it, a, yeah. such a fantastic shot of them side by side with Mary wearing white and Victoria wearing black. And they're both staring at Gregory like, like towards him. And it shows the contrast between the two. I thought that was uh, mm-hmm. that was that was a really cool shot. Yeah. Uh, so and then he ends up, oh, man. Like I said, it's been a few days. Um, well, he basically just says, "Hey, this is Mary. This is what she's about." And and I, you know, I've I've created her, and I'm going to physically show you like what I can do. By he goes over to the tape player, pulls the tape out, snips it, and and goes to throw it in the fire. And I, I just want to take a moment where Mary realizes what's about to happen. And then she's like, please don't bring me back again, Greg. It's like, that is a very tortured comment in an episode that's very lighthearted. And the fact that yeah. a, a creation is aware of their own destruction repeatedly at the whim of their creator, that that's, that's much bigger than this episode. But the fact that they had that moment of just like, Mary was just like, you know, I'd rather just be gone than being brought up again and again for your amusement. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, And I, I also like before he throws the tape into the fire, um, what leads to that is that Victoria does still does not believe him. She's like, this is all just a fiend. I think she calls it a fiendish plot uh, <laughs> to drive me insane. And he's like, well, I guess I got to prove it to you. And that's when we get that moment of her pleading, like, please don't do this again. Please don't bring me back. And uh, he throws it in the fire. And sure enough, Mary vanishes in front of Victoria. And at this point, you get the idea that uh, Victoria still doesn't quite believe it. But she's like, I I just have to get out of here. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this might be real, but I'm still out of (laughs) here. Right. So she ends up uh, stealing the key. Well, uh, he's apologizing and she kind of, you know, plays into it so she can get close to him, pulls a key out of the pocket and goes out out the door. Uh, As soon as she gets out of the door, though, uh, probably the best part of this episode, (laughs) uh, you hear him describing a giant red eyed elephant that's standing in the hallway and won't let Victoria pass. So as soon as she turns around, there is an actual elephant in the hallway. Yeah, and that's a really good visual. Um, I'll have some trivia about the elephant when we get past the episode. I don't want to uh, say it right now because it's it, it kind of takes you out of the episode. But I love that they physically had an, they had an elephant on the set to do that. 
Because um, as much as you've heard me be frustrated with some of the effects, <clears throat> mirror image, this is one of those times where they're like, we need to actually have an elephant. And because otherwise yeah. it would have looked, it would have, it would have ruined the, like the, um, the disbelief, you know? And I thought that was an awesome moment. The elephant's like rearing up, making its noises. She freaks out. She's like, please get rid of that. So he goes and does that and throws, throws it into the fire. Elephant disappears. And the Victoria is still like, I kind of want to go like my, but my point there <laughs> is if your husband's proven to you twice in a row that he can change the reality around you just by the words he speaks into a tape recorder, Maybe even if you don't want to be there, maybe you play along for a minute till you can get away. That's just my thought. Yeah, but where are you going to hide? You can just describe <laughs> anything into reality. It's That's terrifying. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he ends up uh, going towards a safe on his bookshelf behind some fake books, and uh, there's a great line where Victoria asks him, "How long has that been there?" And he said, oh, "Since we were married." <laughs> Yeah, it's and, so uh, on the nose. Out, I love it. You're right. Yeah. So he pulls out an envelope that has Victoria's name on it, and it's full of tape. And you can imagine what is on the tape. And I love, I love that moment because it's it's one of those things I didn't, I had never seen this before, and I wasn't quite sure where this episode is, was going to go. When it happened, I was like, of course that's happening. But uh, it really did throw me for a loop. Uh, no pun intended, audio-wise. <laughs> but isn't it one of those things, the moment you realize that he has the envelope that is Victoria in his hand, that everything before that makes perfect sense of what he's telling her. Like, she, he's having a completely different conversation with her than she realizes. And this is the yeah. part where I love Matheson and I love the Twilight Zone because you could be going along for 15 minutes and being like, I know what's going on. Oh, now I really know what's going on. And it was wonderful. Yeah, and it, it's... It's an obvious place to take the episode, but you don't see it coming. That's a great thing. Yeah. Like, because when you think back, you're like, of course it went there. It had to have gone there. But like, I honestly did not see it coming watching the episode. You're so just along for the ride that you just take it, you know? Well, he also, he also foretold the point, and I know I mentioned this earlier, where he said that his character started making decisions against his will. And he lays it out saying, this is the first time you've defied what I said. So like he almost saw that as like, well, you're starting to develop like your own sense of purpose. This is probably not a good thing for me who can create everything. But he tells her, he's like, this is you. This is all of you. And she, again, I love it where she still doesn't believe him, but almost, but she still wants to prove how right she is. And she takes that envelope and throws it in the fire. Yeah. Well, it, it's great. And, you know, we keep talking about her uh, her reactions being grounded in reality. Like, I, I feel like if you were in that position and all the stuff is going on, maybe you wouldn't trust your mind. And be like, no, no, all this is fake. You know, this is so this is so out of control. This is so unbelievable. Like, it has to be fake. Right. So, yeah, she throws the envelope in the fire and immediately she's like, oh, I'm feeling weird, feeling hot. And uh she ends up actually vanishing. Yeah. So, and then here's where we, where we get into the weird stuff because uh, we haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> he starts redescribing Victoria into the tape player, and uh, as he's mid description, he stops, and uh, he, he stops the tape player and says, "Why don't Why don't we just leave well enough alone?" Well, because he and, says uh, he says to her before, like he he uh, hands her over the envelope. He's like, "I made you too perfect. I made you basically." He's saying, "I made you the woman that you are," and I should have known this was going to come to this, you know. But he's like, "I thought you were the woman. I thought you were the kind of wife that I wanted before, but I was wrong." So it's like he's like you know, basically telling her, "I made you like this way." And now you're challenging me and questioning me and you're beating me down. And he was basically saying, you're too beautiful and too perfect. Did you ever question why you were with me? Like, and it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, you you, you can't set too much on it too long because it's a Twilight Zone episode. But that's kind of one of those things where had this been a longer form story, you could have had a really great like pause and character moment of her being like, you know what? I don't know why I married you. You know, like, I don't know what, why we're together. And it's like, it was kind of one of those things where he's just like basically apologizing to her for making her the way she is. And I thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. for someone that's like, 
um, Gregory West is a very complicated person in the 20 minutes that we know him because he is quiet and he is reserved, but he's also kind of, he's also kind of a, um, an egomaniac because he is the creator, but he also kind of like, he also has a severe, um, uh, I don't know, uh, self-esteem issue, you know, because he thought he needed someone that was assertive and knew all the answers. And then he realizes that he didn't want to be browbeat. So there's a lot of nuance yeah. to this character. He does a really good job of selling it too. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you're describing that, it is it is kind of telling of the time, and uh, you know she was she was a very assertive lady, a very independent woman, and everything. And uh, it kind of speaks of the time of what people are looking for in wives, you know. And he's basically saying like, no, nah, like she was too <laughs> independent. Like let's go, you know. It, it, that's not all that the episode is saying, but it does really speak to the time that he's like, ah, I don't want such an independent, strong woman. I want a more submissive, quiet wife, you know, that's going to answer to my beck and call. Like, it's kind of problematic. <laughs> so it occurs to me, and I was going to mention this trivia till at the end of the episode, but this is a really good parallel, that that area with the fireplace and the desk is actually the same area that was in a stop at Willoughby whenever the main character's talking to his wife, but they actually had a removable staircase that they brought in. Oh, yeah. Um, and to think about that wife in that episode where she's just beating the life out of the main character because she wants this like like this life that they're close to having or they are having, and this is not what he wanted. And then just to realize that you're actually having a similar discussion on the same set, but it's more like the guy can dictate what he wants and he realizes that the wife he has is not the wife that he ideally needs. And that's a very strong yeah. parallel for a stop at Willoughby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, yeah. I have, like I I said, have we're them every into, so often. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, we're getting to the end of the episode. Please take us to the part that just tickles me to no end. How about that? Yeah. So, after he says, why don't we leave well enough alone, he starts uh, describing Mary again. And Mary reappears. And then uh, they're happy once again. And we pan over and we see Rod Serling for the first time in person in the episode. And this is this is great. I thought <laughs> when when he popped up for this first time, I thought he was just going to kind of give a little outro to the season <laughs> and do a closing narration live. But, oh, no, what I got was so much better. <laughs> so as he's sitting there doing the outro, uh Gregory pulls out an envelope with Rod Serling's name on it and throws it into the fire and Serling disappears. Yeah. And what a great way <laughs> to end the first season of Twilight Zone. <laughs> I, yeah. It's so goofy. It's so gimmicky, but it, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so funny. Like, I think I said during the it's last so charming. episode. I think charming is the best word to describe it. I think I told you, I think I front sold it by saying this is my favorite ending of the season because it is my favorite ending because it goes like one step and then a step further with like, you know, Sterling sitting on the desk with the cigarette in hand saying, well, obviously what we've seen is a story of fabrication. And then Gregory's like, tsk, 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 you know, like you shouldn't say that rod. Then he goes over and grabs the envelope. It's like, it's such a great moment of like, like, um, you know, Rod, I mean, even though Rod Sterling didn't write the script, he is the creator of the yeah. series. And, yeah, and have, his, his yeah. characters are kind of getting a mind of their own. And yes. <laughs> it, like you're talking about meta, this just takes it even a step further than we were before earlier in the episode. And I know this ending, I, I believe was a point of contention between him and uh, Matheson. Cause this is something that Serling came up with just to tie up the end of the season. And I guess Matheson's ending was a little bit darker if I'm not mistaken. Well, his his entire episode was actually a lot darker. It was more dealing with okay. with creating characters that run amok and do their own thing. And then whenever Sterling and, and, and um, Buck Houghton read the script, he he uh, Sterling asked Buck, he's like, hey, could you tell him to, to make this a little bit more lighter? So they sent it to Matheson. He rewrote it. And then uh, basically, I didn't put this in my notes here, but, but Matheson actually wrote an apology to Sterling saying, hey, basically... I, I didn't 
like I didn't understand the tone you're going for. Please don't let this keep us from working together because I feel like the show's going to do great things. And if it doesn't, it's a great injustice. So it's Matheson realizing like, I don't want to get off this train. And if you want to go this way, that's fine. You know, but it's like, I've also feel like Matt, like that, um, certainly trusted Matheson enough that he's going to deliver, um, a good script. It's just that that's not the intent that he wanted to start. And I feel like yeah. that kind of gives a glimpse at like their relationship. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of the earlier teleplays that Serling uh, had completed. I mean, he didn't write it, but that uh, it was one of the earlier episodes in the season submitted to the to CBS, and they ended up saving it for the last episode, and that's what ended up. That was kind of the genesis of them rewriting it and making it a little bit more lighthearted because they wanted to go out not on such a dark thought, no. which which I can totally agree with, and I I don't fault Serling or the network for that at all. And, and let's and, just say uh, let's say that the series didn't get picked up for a season two. Wouldn't that be the greatest ending to a TV series ever? Is that you see oh, yeah. the creator of the series get like whisked out of existence by a creation, <laughs> and that's it. Twilight Zone, we're done. Like how how great would that be to be like, by the way, we're getting canceled. By the way, we're going to kill the creator of the show. We're done. We're going to uncreate him. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so much fun. Yeah. I, I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> that makes me really I, happy. All I knew yeah. is that you said you love the ending. So I was, I, I thought you were just talking about the fact that, uh, just with his wife being a creation, you know, that twist enough. What I was fine with, but then we get this whole, like I said, charming ending to it. It's wonderful. And you know, have you ever seen uh, the Looney Tunes episodes where Bugs Bunny kind of takes over the artists? <laughs> have you? Yes. That's what yes. this reminded me of. This had the same tone as that. Like where Daffy Duck is being like subjugated to like a blank field, and and then doors upon doors, yeah, are just getting messed with. Yeah, them. and then it turns yeah. out to be Bugs Bunny yes. as the artist. Like that's what this reminded me of in tone, in uh, atmosphere, like everything. It, it, it felt like very fun. It felt like a and this is this is this is really weak praise. It felt like a Family Guy joke before a Family Guy joke, like the whole like we're gonna bring the person in and then the person in the scene is gonna recognize what's going on and be like no 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 that's not how that works, you know. And I I love it because and then and then the further to go on with this, the two things I want to mention here real quick. One, Serling used that machine called a dictaphone to to actually write a lot of his scripts, and I find it ironic that the one story one of the few stories of the season that he didn't write involved a guy using a dictaphone so i thought that yeah, was great I probably, I probably should have said that rather in a tape recorder because it's yeah. the same thing it's, <laughs> it was it, not yeah. a tape recorder yeah. but whatever um it was more so closer to a reel to reel i guess just a mini version of that so I, here's the reason why he uses a dictaphone and you'll find this interesting because it kind of explains serling he was a one-handed uh, typist, and he described himself as a punching typist, where he would just beat the living shit out of typewriters. And he felt like <laughs> they felt like they couldn't keep up with his speed of thought. So he would, and they'd also break down. So he switched to the dictaphone because it actually moved better at his thought process. So he was kind of ahead of dictating how things like like I feel like he, if he had the technology today, I could only imagine the stuff that he would write because. Because the only thing that would limit him is his mind, you know, and yeah. it, it was always firing on all cylinders. So he would actually sit by the poolside with his dictaphone and and read read aloud his thoughts for a script and then pause when he wanted to think about something and then unpause and go back to dictating the script. And I just think that's... I wonder uh, if those yeah. tapes exist anywhere. They do. I would... Do they? Yeah, they I do. wonder. I wonder if I can get my hands on uh, some audio recordings of that. That'd be so interesting to just hear his thoughts and just his ideas kind of spur of the moment like that. There's an episode of uh, the Nerdist podcast where they interview J.J. Abrams and uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who directed uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Cannot remember his name. I oh, okay. apologize. Yeah, I can't remember. They, they interviewed both of them together. And because Abrams is such a, a Twilight Zone fan, they actually went to um, Serling's uh, wife and said, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're doing all this stuff and they're kind of working on all these things. Like just for whatever reason, I forget the, the genesis of the story, but she's like, do you want to hear the tapes? And J.J. Abrams is like, oh. absolutely. So they actually listened to his thought process as he's like, like verbally writing these scripts. And so they exist. I don't know if we can listen to them, but they're out there. And Abrams got a chance to sit down and listen to 
um, Sterling's thought process and how he laid out stories. And as much as I'm jealous of J.J. Abrams' life, that's one of those things where I'm like, why can't I just do that for a second? But I'm sure he applied that in a much better way than I would have, which would have just been like, hey, Kevin, guess what I got to listen to? I would have just bragged about it. I wouldn't have actually applied it anywhere. But, you know, <laughs> but they exist. Yeah, I'd, I'd be yeah. really interested. I'd be really interested to hear that. It would, it would be kind of mind-blowing. I'd like to hear um, what wasn't, you know? Like, I'd like to hear him actually work his way through story points. I think that would be really interesting to hear his own thought process of like a, what works and what doesn't work you know i because I, yeah. I mean, we have the finished product i want to i want to hear all the stumbling through the dark to get to that point i think that's the part yeah. that's interesting to me especially on some of those real solid episodes like like after hours i would love to hear just his thought process of how he came up with that especially with all the controversy around it yeah absolutely um, yeah our, uh, this episode i i was also big fan of are you familiar with the concept of a tulpa um what is that uh it comes from like uh uh buddhism and it's it's the concept of a like uh, a being or something being created through just strictly mental power so if enough people believe in something it can become real and i know they've touched on it on the show supernatural they've had uh tulpas I know the Slender Man, that whole phenomenon that's been going on for years. People, monster hunters and stuff, have referred to that as a tulpa, and that maybe enough people have written about it and believe in it that the, that's the whole there's been enough of, mental um, power put out there wow. that it's actually become real. And this episode, as I was watching, I'm like, this is basically just a tulpa. This guy's creating tulpas. <laughs> well, you, you're and, watching uh, uh, American Gods on uh, Showtime, right? Yeah, yeah, I have a Cinemax. It's, show, it's Showtime, but, yeah. But that's the whole yeah. the whole crux of that too is uh, enough belief and enough power makes these entities real, right? So, yeah. and I hope that's not giving away the show because I think that's told from the beginning. So I yeah, apologize it, it, if I ruined pretty... everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would I would hope people were catching on to that by the first episode or early on in the book. Um, but yeah, I, I've always been fascinated by that concept. And I've seen a lot of horror aspects like people have used it in horror stories and everything. And just the idea of Slender Man, you know, it started as just an Internet story. But there's those two girls that murder their friend. Yeah. And said that Slender Man told them. And a lot of people who believe in that kind of stuff is like, no, it's real. Enough people believe in it. It's real. Well, you know, like and uh, this episode kind of hits on that and. The episode is lighthearted, but this again goes back to how deep this you can really take what's actually going on in this episode. Absolutely. It, it, it's powerful. It's kind of creepy. Uh, it's funny all at the same time. And I, it's weird because I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about this episode, but this is honestly one of my favorite episodes we've watched this season. Because I, I know you told I me you were so teasing. You're teasing me before we were recording. You're like, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm like, I hope Kevin likes this one because it's one of my favorites. Because I love the whole. There, there, there's a punchline at the end of it, and I'm not just talking even about the Serling thing. I'm talking about the Victoria thing, where yeah. like if you go yeah, back, I would and, consider that the real twist. The <laughs> Serling thing is just a cherry on top. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, you know, it's fun, but it it really doesn't add anything more to the story. It's basically the same twist, but like, goofier. You go back and watch uh, this one again and, and every bit of dialogue has a different meaning to it. Yeah. And well, it, it's like yeah. I said, you know, we talk about Serling's creations having a mind of their own and kind of having their own lives and everything. Uh, I, just his opening narration, like I hinted at at the beginning of him describing the characters the same way that Gregory West would have described it into his, uh, into the tape. Like it, that's, it, it's really genius. It's honestly such a good idea. And it's such a, I, I know Matheson did not write the opening narration, but it was, it was a great little add on to the episode. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I just, I love it because it's like, it's, it's a punchline, but everything serves like every, everything has a purpose. And I can, I, I will, I know you, have said to me repeatedly over the course of the season, like, Hey Paul, it's, it's 25 minutes. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you got to get to the story, but I feel like this one really everything services the end. And then when you go back and watch it again, it's like, it, not that it, it doesn't diminish 
like what happens because you know I still find that entertaining, but it really paints everything. The moment you you realize from the very beginning that Victoria is one of these creations and she's defying him and he's actually trying to figure out like what happened while I was talking to her. And at first it goes from amusement to real concern and then to, to resignation of like, well, I guess this is the end of that. And then even though he cared enough about her to be like, we should recreate her to be like, you know what? Let me take a step back from that. Maybe we don't need her around. Like there's a lot of that where it's like, it all kind of, it kind of hits twice. And, like I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, a couple of the episodes where I think maybe it circles back around that everything kind of has a different meaning. The only thing I could think of is Judgment Night, whenever you had your character who was on that ship, and it turns out yeah. he was the German U-boat operator. That kind of it kind of paints itself differently the second time you watch it. But yeah, and it's not yeah. as strongly no. written as this episode. But it kind of it kind of hints at that same loop though. But it's not it's not nearly as meta. But it kind of talks about like this is this is like the the struggle of like a set time, like a set fate, even though this isn't set, it's more like, uh, you know, Gregory West is already, he already knows what's going on and knows what they expect. And his expectation isn't our expectation. And that's why I really like this episode a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Really solid. Really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all I got on the episode as far as notes. Okay. So I got a couple more bits of trivia here. I just wanted to, to, to sure. save till the end. Um, this is obviously the first time Sterling appeared on screen during an actual episode. What you and I have missed because we've been watching this on Netflix is that he would actually come on camera and tease the next episode by sitting like on set with like talking about things. Like, uh, for example, I read about, um, the Mr. Beavis episode because I, you know, that's, I hate that episode, but there was a bit where he was sitting on Beavis's desk with all the odd garbage and the, the really racist uh, clock. And it, um, and then the background, there was the company clock and he said some kind of joke about like next week we talk about so-and-so at this time and the time on the clock didn't match what he said because it was hinting at what like Mr. Beavis would, he would show up late to work. So there was all yeah. these little bits in there where Sterling would tease what was coming the next week. So you saw him teasing the next episode you never saw him in the episode which as a viewer you would just assume that he was wrapping up the story and this was the only time in the five seasons of the twilight zone where he directly interacts with the character involved in the story and i think that's interesting and what um, a perfect story to do it absolutely <laughs> and then supposedly the story goes uh that buck houghton and the, the um, people at CBS that were in charge of like keeping the sponsors happy saw how well Serling carried himself on screen and kind of had a presence that they're like, you know what? We need you in front of the camera for every episode going forward. So that's why we go from this transition to him just doing narration to physically seeing him in the TV episodes, like doing the narration, starting with season yeah. two. Great decision. I think it is too, because it's like, like, uh, like when you think of the Twilight Zone, how do you not think of Rod Serling? Because you always think of the black suit, the black tie, the cigarette, and just that kind of like knowing tone in his voice. And you wouldn't have the Twilight Zone without him, but I feel like his presence on the screen is one of those things that you can't separate. Just after, I mean, I know it's 50 years later, but you can't unthink the Twilight Zone without visualizing Serling talking about it. Because every joke that's been made about the Twilight Zone always has him on screen talking about something, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, other bit of trivia too. This is related to the elephant. I'm just going to mention this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I was I was dying to hear this. <laughs> uh, Buck Houghton recalled. And this is his words. I came around the stage corner and there was an elephant. Uh, and the elephant man, not not what you think of the elephant man, but the guy training the elephant, was yeah. having him go on his nose and then back on his legs and on his nose, then back on his legs, and then on his nose. And he's like, I stood there wondering what this guy was beating this poor elephant to death for. Finally, he didn't give the next order and the elephant shit a bale of hay. And he says, now he's good for two hours. So I went and told Nelson, you've got two hours to use the elephant or we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's just like, it's just like the producer just sees an elephant, just take a big shit. And he's like, we got it guys. We got two hours. We got to get him on set or else there's going to be bad news. <laughs> oh. oh that's so funny that's just a, that's, yeah I, that's like a 30 I agree with you though. i'm so yeah. happy they used a real elephant or they didn't just uh just cut one into the shot or something you know or use uh like stock footage or something like that it it, it was so again i'm gonna use the word charming 
charming to have an actual elephant on screen. Yeah, it just it made sense, right? It, it like it's like yeah, of, of all of all the sight gags you could use, like uh, you know, and clearly if you have an elephant with you know that, that that's not going to take a dump on the, in the middle of the screen, <laughs> like if you have it and you can use it for a second, it sells it. That's fine, and I like that. Like they even said, like listen, if we did like stock footage or like you know something, he's like people wouldn't buy it. So we needed Victoria to react to it. And it works, and it's only on the screen for a few seconds. But you get the idea that uh, that um, Gregory's powers are bigger than creating women that he wants to sleep with, you know. So, which I, I I like I like that they kind of expanded it a little bit, you know, to show you like it's almost like, and I know we're we're going to get there eventually, um, in Twilight Zone the movie, uh, The Good Life, which I know there's an episode called The Good Life where the little mm-hmm. kid can will things into existence. And there's that bit in the movie where the TV breaks apart and there's like a real live like Tasmanian devil, which even thinking about it now, that terrified me as a kid, by the way. But that was one of those moments to show you that his powers are, are, are um, you know, infinite, but it's a kid and he's going to conjure up demonic cartoons, you know, that just shows yeah. you the stakes are real, you know. And with this, it's like it's funny and it's lighthearted, but it's like this guy can go to a microphone and be like, oh, there's an angry elephant. And then suddenly there's an elephant. So what's stopping him from saying, oh, by the way, um, there's a tank outside. And it's not letting you leave. You know, like, so, like, I don't know. I, I could gush about this episode forever. I just love, yeah. th- like, and this is one of those ones that, um, I'm sorry for dragging this on here, that we talk about suspension of disbelief and we talk about giving us just enough to go along. And so we don't question what's happening. We don't know where he got this ability. We just know that it happens. And this is much more satisfying than some of the episodes we've seen this season where they try to over explain it a little bit too much and it falls apart. Yeah, and you, you kind of get the impression that even he doesn't know. So it's easier yeah. to accept. Um, a little bit more on the elephant. I found uh, her IMDb page. <laughs> uh, the elephant's name is Modoc, and she lived Modoc? to be 70. Yeah, lived to be 79 years old, died in 1975, uh, has nine credits here, was in episode of Bonanza, uh, Good Times. <laughs> Uh, and Gunsmoke and a few other ones this elephant lived longer than Serling I don't know how I feel about that (laughs) yeah but it was a circus elephant that uh, a guy under the name Ralph Helfner who is he worked in the film industry he ended up buying in a newspaper ad and uh, (laughs) for a thousand dollars and ended up getting her jobs in a bunch of films Wow, that's uh, like I feel like that should have been in cast and crew, but we didn't think about it. That's uh, that's yeah, amazing. it is in cast and crew on the IMDb page. Did she die from lung cancer from smoking cigarettes? Because at least then I feel like that would be appropriate. No, I'm it says kidding. it says natural causes. <laughs> well, you already saw that her tusk was taken, so it wasn't like poachers came along later and finished the job. Yeah, um, born in uh, born in Germany, died in California. Wow, well, you know, Godspeed, Modoc, which that's not. That's a, that's a weird name for an elephant. I don't know where that name came from. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in uh, reading more about the elephant, there is like a 20 paragraph biography on the IMDb page for this elephant. It's kind of <laughs> it's elephant, kind of amazing. That elephant had a bigger career than Mary did in this episode. That's that's a <laughs> wow. That's a crazy crazy thing. All right, so <laughs> all right, enough enough about that. Let's just get to the twist, and we could we could just uh, get out of here. Wow. This is a two-part twist. I'm going to give it a three for the initial bit of Victoria being a creation as well. I think that's tempered by the fact that I've seen this episode before, but I'm going to give it a five for the Serling being winked out of existence because it just tickles me so much. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do an overall four for the twist. That seems fair. I, yeah, I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, and it made perfect sense. And uh, I'll give four to Rod Serling as well. Just do overall four because that one is entertaining on a whole nother level than the Victoria twist is. But yeah, overall, I I really enjoyed this and uh, such a strong, such a strong episode. Just so well written. And we have a lot more from Matheson coming in future seasons. And I'm, I'm excited because some of his more famous ones are coming up. Yeah. 
And and so what we've decided here, um, and before we get to wrapping up the episode on proper, I guess yeah. I should say this. So we we talked about this beforehand because it's been such a journey to get to this point and we're only a fifth of the way there. Um, I feel like that just having a end of the season discussion would not be, I don't think it would do it justice for us to do it at the end of this episode. So we're going to actually do an episode that kind of wraps up the season, puts it on the shelf, and then we can say what we want to say about season one. And then we'll, we'll march boldly into season two. Um, well, then we're also going to watch some other stuff before we get to season two. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, um, and uh, there is sort of a poll up on the Facebook uh, if there's something you guys want us to cover for that one after the season one wrap up. So go on there and vote and let us know what you want us to do. But yeah, I think uh, we're taking next week. Next week is Memorial Day weekend. So uh, we're going to take that week off and then we're going to come back with that season one wrap up. I'm, I'm excited. It'll be fun to go look back and uh, think about these episodes, maybe rewatch some of my favorites again, just so we can... Uh, really tie up the season yeah excited and if you guys want to share with us like over the course of the season like what's been like your favorite episodes least favorite episodes um like yeah, this is yeah. a perfect time to send some feedback in yeah because uh, you can kind of bring up anything you want it doesn't have to be episode related <laughs> uh anything you guys want to talk about please it would be awesome to hear from you guys on the final episode of the season one yeah and we're thinking about doing like um like top five bottom five uh best performance um, I'm sure I'll come up with some other categories because I like complicating things. I'll be like best elephant usage in an episode. We'll go to Modoc, um, you know. And so, like, I feel like it would be good to have best visual effects, <laughs> yeah, not mirror image. Mirror image. Um, so, so yeah, I think it would be good to kind of go back and just take a look because um, I, I really do. We, we've been through 37 episodes, like, and I feel like it deserves some time of reflection before we go diving in to the second season. Um, so that'll be fun. I actually look forward to that conversation. Um, I mean, I look forward to every conversation I have with you because we have a lot of fun doing these, like, like no matter what, as you, as you guys have noticed, our episode times have been ticking upward because I think we have a good time talking about these. We were like, you know, 45 minutes is a good spot. No, I think we should go 120 minutes talking about a 25 minute episode. Not really. We're not going to go two hours. Um, but um, but yeah, that's going to be the next time we get together. Um, so, but bef- before we wrap this up in proper, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us and talk to us about the season we just watched? Yes. Uh, please, if if you have voicemails, if you want to leave us or emails, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys for the season one wrap up. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you think of the episodes. Let us know what your favorites are. Let us know if you hated, uh, <laughs> Um, uh, Mr. Denton on Doomsday as much as we did. <laughs> <laughs> How dry uh, I am. How dry. Yeah. I am. <laughs> um, yeah. Please get a hold of us uh, through that email. Um, you can also send us messages or leave us comments on the Facebook page, Strange Highways, and join the conversation on there. Paul does a great job tying in uh, some screenshots from the episodes week to week as we cover them. And I always get a kick out of seeing what he pulls out <laughs> from the episodes, especially from uh, last week's that uh, every time I see that face, it gives me a few <laughs> nightmares. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Google Play Music. And it would really help us out if you guys would rate and review us on there. Even if it's uh, one star, it still gives us uh, <laughs> something to look at on there. So, uh, yeah, if you guys would be so inclined, it would really help us out. Absolutely. So yeah, please, please, please uh, rate us where you can, where podcasts are available. That'd be awesome. Uh, like I said, next time we get together, so have a, have a safe holiday, but next time we're going to wrap up season one. Um, I think that's going to be a fun conversation just because I know I've been dragging season one back into all our conversations we've been having, but I feel like we should be able to just kind of take a breath and just kind of look at everything that we've done. Because I mean, this is no TV shows outside the CW run this long anymore in terms of episode count for any particular season of television. (laughs) And it's taken, it's taken us more than a year to get through like three quarters of a year of episodes. So that should say a lot. Um, yeah, yeah and I, I really want to thank everyone listening. Uh, we really appreciate you guys taking the journey with us. And I know uh, sometimes we miss a few weeks here and there, but uh, thank you for listening. Absolutely, yeah. Like, uh, this has yeah, been it, this has been so much goddamn fun to be like I'm going to talk about Twilight Zone week to week, and this forces me to stop and look at each one as opposed to just binging it. And I hope everybody else just doesn't just tear through it because I feel like 
that would be a disservice. Even with the bad episodes, I think it's a disservice just to just to, to tear over it and not realize that maybe there's reasons why it wasn't good. And we found that out as we went along. I've I've really really enjoyed this process. Yeah, and like I said, it, I'm getting a whole new appreciation for uh, each episode just going in order and seeing what was aired week to week, and it. it honestly has given me different viewpoints on a lot of the episodes, just seeing them in actual order rather than just on a rerun on sci-fi channel or something. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So that's going to do it for us. It'll be fun. Yeah. (laughs) We're just going to, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up uh, for this week. Uh, Everybody have a safe holiday. And um, I guess if you get really, really good at describing things, I mean, I guess, you know, don't don't throw us in the fire i don't know i don't know what to say about that just please don't throw us in the fire i'm hope i'm not the creation of somebody else just talking into a tape recorder well maybe the internet willed us into existence i don't know (laughs) (laughs) maybe we're tulpas We hope you enjoyed tonight's romantic story on the Twilight Zone. At the same time, we want you to realize that it was, of course, purely fictional. In real life, such ridiculous nonsense could never... Rod! You shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't say such things as nonsense and ridiculous. Well, that's the way it goes.